With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. So it is January 12th. Uh, again, just getting the new year started. Um, it seemed like a really chaotic end of the year. And when I say chaotic end of the year, it was just like chicken little, the sky is falling. If it was bad news around our, you know, the, the Web3 asset class or any asset class, that was all that you kind of saw. Um, and so there really was kind of a very cooling off period uh, with, with cryptocurrencies and some blockchain technologies uh, around there. But I think more than anything else, it, it really did solidify the fact that technology is here to stay. Um, and concepts like blockchain technologies, cryptocurrencies is all intermixed in, in a lot of different Web3 protocols, metaverses and, and whatnot. And so I'm really excited today to, to chat with Brent, um, who's, who's working on a, an amazing project, uh, Gripner, and, and I couldn't absolutely massacre um, what they do and how they do it. But before that, let's just really start with Brent taking a few steps back and, and talk about the history, your, um, your amazing kind of background and, and your 10,000 hours um, that got you here today. <clears throat> Absolutely, Jay. Um, thanks for having me out today and YWales community for listening in. <clears throat> so my name is Brent McCrossan. I am the co-founder and CEO of Gripner. And, you know, I've, I've been uh, an entrepreneur pretty much all my adult life. I mean, I'm going to be 50 uh, in May and I've been working for myself since I was 25 years old. Right. And the, the journey for me as an entrepreneur, I don't think it's atypical by any means, but it was certainly a winding and twisting crazy road. So um, to go the way back machine, I was in college with the intention of getting a doctorate in industrial organizational psychology. I dropped out of college before I got my bachelor degree, decided um, rather than helping organizations be more effective and giving people um, kind of resources uh, from a psychological perspective to thrive in an environment. I just wanted to help people relax. Um, and I thought the best way to get into uh, the industry with the goal of owning a retreat spa was to become a hairstylist. My parents were none too thrilled given their academic backgrounds, uh, but I did it anyway. And I became a hairstylist. I moved to from New Orleans to Seattle. I started my first hair salon up there with the intention of growing that into a retreat spa outside of downtown area. Um, and the first or second year I was in Seattle, um, they had a Mardi Gras party every Fat Tuesday in Seattle. And uh, that year there was riots and actually a couple of people got killed. And being from New Orleans where the only time of year we don't kill people is during Mardi Gras, I thought it was ridiculous that such an otherwise peaceful city would have such an awful experience. I realized they didn't know what the hell they were doing. Uh, I've been a musician all my life. And when I was a kid, I was always putting on my own concerts and, and promoting them and getting folks to show up. So I'm like, you know what? I can just uh, pull a page from that book. I'm going to do a Mardi Gras party in Seattle the following year and show people how to do it right. Um, and that was a massive success. We had thousands of people come out. We had a venue with three stories, lots of bands, um, huge attendance. And the outcome of that was that music venues started asking me to put programming into their clubs. 
And then um, artists started asking me to help manage their careers. So while I had this salon uh, with some other friends of mine, kind of a co-op uh, uh, hair salon thing in, in Seattle, I suddenly had this music booking uh, and talent agency. And we wind up controlling uh, all of the music programming for three uh, Seattle music venues, had an artist roster of about seven different artists. And uh, through that, one of my artists uh, got his song placed in a video game uh, licensing deal. And another one got his song placed in the television show, uh, The Sopranos. And mm. both of them got paid a fortune for that. And that's when the light bulb went off. And I realized, holy cow, like there's a ton of money in music licensing. It's inefficient. If I only had a really deep database of high quality music in every genre, and a technology that could enable the music licensing process to happen in a click of a button, I could scale that. So I had never raised venture-backed money, didn't really realize I was an entrepreneur yet. I didn't think of myself as that. Um, but I, I, I met a guy who invented ringtones, the concept mm -hmm. of ringtones. His name is Rick Hennessy. He became my mentor. He liked what we were doing. And he helped me go raise some, company, uh, some capital for this new company called AudioSocket. And that was my first venture-backed uh, technology startup company. I obviously, you know, let the salon go to um, my business partners that I was working there with. Uh, I gave my talent agency to one of my employees and said, here's the venues, go run them, have fun. And next thing you know, we're off to the races building AudioSocket. And we, I built that for a very long time. I was there for almost, I guess, 11 years. Uh, we spun out a technology from AudioSocket into a business called LidCore. It's a patented technology that uses inaudible watermarking to kind of track rights and copyrighted material in live broadcast, as well as to bring in audience measurement and um, how people are viewing content, audience sizes, and the rest. And at that time, I was running both companies um, by myself because my business partner had stepped down as COO of AudioSocket to raise her family. And I, I felt like I had all the energy in the world to run both of those companies. Um, and I did for about two and a half years until um, it almost cost me my life. I, I landed in a hospital due to acute stress. It was really pretty traumatic. Um, so I made some changes. I got my business partner to come back as CEO. We hired some upper management out of one of the major publisher groups to be her right-hand man. Um, and then I exited stage left and took a board seat, uh, at audio socket and, um, went on sabbatical. Uh, my friend Gerard Ramos here in new Orleans owns a company called revelry. <clears throat> revelry is a dev shop. They build software for fortune 500 companies, early stage startups and everything in between. And, um, he came to me and he said, look, the, the work we've done has added hundreds of millions of value for our partners over the years. And it's time for us to start building software for ourselves. So he asked me to get off the sidelines and quit uh, enjoying my relaxation and become managing director of uh, Revelry Startup Studio, where my job was to identify problems worth solving, ideate solutions, uh, work to validate or invalidate them through design thinking. And when we get the right signals, spin up new companies, give it some capital, hire in CEOs, and let them go. And then I go back to the beginning and do it all over again. Love so, that. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And it was it was actually pretty low stress. Uh, now that I am where I'm at, I can have the comparison. <laughs> so uh, about September, October of 2021, my dear friend, Patrick Comer, uh, who I've known really since I moved back home to New Orleans in 2009 with AudioSocket, uh, when we opened our satellite office here, 
um, he was running a really large multinational company called Lucid that he co-founded and was CEO. And he actually sent the email to me and Gerard saying, hey, I got an idea I'm kicking around. I want to run it by the studio and see if you all are interested. And I'm like, okay, yeah, absolutely. Let's have a meeting. And it was curious to me why Patrick would even be thinking about some other business because he was managing probably 500 people, um, a, a very sizable business. So anyway, we met in the Rebelry offices and his idea was to bring tabletop role-playing games to the blockchain mm. uh, using NFT art. And his brother owns a crypto hedge fund called XBTO. He loves his brother, but they're extremely competitive people. And he's like, Walton is having way too much fun, making way too much money on this crypto side. And he realized he had not been really paying attention to NFTs. And Patrick saw an opportunity to kind of grab his own alpha. Uh, Patrick is a huge D&D fan, loves tabletop role-playing games. I've played off and on throughout my life, but never as dedicated as he had. And he's just on all the time with it. And as he explained the use case for the blockchain and how tabletop role-playing games really match to it well, because it's all, you know, to build a character, you're holding dice, that's data. Dice is data for the outcomes of the game itself. And obviously being able to verify um, game outcomes uh, on the chain is extremely powerful. And more importantly, the concept of organized play. So we ran the validation process through the studio. And the deeper we got into it, and the more I was down the rabbit hole, the more excited I got. I kept you know, bringing back reports to him and Gerard on what I was finding. And eventually, I'm like, I think we should do this, guys. Um, and uh, the studio would like to support it and spin it out as a co-founder with you. Like, what are you thinking? And he's like, oh, I was, I'm thinking it. I'm excited because I was hoping you would say that. I want you to be the CEO of it. So I got tricked into this role. Uh, that's, how, that's, how, that's how it happens to all of us. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, these good friends you put in your life, they, they, they're, they're instigators, right? <laughs> So um, I was like, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and give it a shot. Let's do this. And I'm still wondering, like, why the hell is Patrick focused on this thing right now? He's got to be busy. Um, and right after we spun up Gripner and made it a corporation, I think the day or two later, the news broke that he had just sold his company for $1.1 billion, uh, to a publicly traded company called Scent Group. So uh, at that point, the cat was out of the bag. We understood. He was using his study of this entire project as a way to distract himself from that transaction. As you can imagine, it was a lot pretty stressful time for him. And he was holding it all inside. Nobody could know what he was doing. Um, and this is really how Gripner came to be. So that's the really twisted road no, of my no, entrepreneurial and, and, journey. And I absolutely and love yeah, I love I love the conversation and and really the thoughts around and and just to be clear, Hair Salon was your first. My my first was nightclubs, because um, as a twenty one year old, you know why why go drinking when you can have your own liquor license? That was that was my thesis. Um, and so I think that you know really when I kind of hear you talk, it's you're you're, you're not opportunistic. Um, you know, meaning that you're just grabbing a hold of things just because you, you think it's someone else's good idea. You have a passion for them. You have an, a deep understanding of, of where things are going. And then from there, the opportunities, you know, seem to land in your lap. Um, and that's, that's the way sometimes it works. And, and you're able to validate and verify, um, which is what I love what you're talking about with your studios. Like you run, you run the gamut. If you get the correct signals, like, hey, there's, there's an actual market for this. Because too often we, I see brilliant, brilliant entrepreneurs with amazing backgrounds, amazing histories, building projects that when it gets to deployment, there's no market for it. There never was. There was, Mm -hmm. they they were, you know, it's the, you build it and they will come. But in an emerging asset class, especially like Web3, barely anybody understands it to begin with, let alone, you know, to attract tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people um, to use your product. That, that, that's a tough case in a lot of, (laughs) for a lot of these guys. Um, 
you know, hearing kind of that the concepts that you're you're talking about with your your new co-founder for um, for Gripner, it's a very common story. You know, those of us that are exiting businesses, like we just were terrified of of having nothing. Um, congratulations that you got to ha- you got to find some peace and relaxation at some point over the last uh, right, decade right. or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for those of us that have this the sickness, you know, I, I I'm sixty to eighty hours a week. You know, minimum, and and I just wouldn't have it any other way. Talk to my yeah. wife, and she'll disagree. Um, but but you know, that's kind of how we all operate. So so you know, Brent, when you're kind of just to to bring a cap to your your background, what do you think was the most important lessons that you learned along the way that that's helping you in Web three? And and the reason I I usually say Web three is a different asset class is because it's the fastest thing I've ever seen. The moves, it's twenty four seven. It's global. You go to sleep, you wake up, and there's new innovations. There's new protocols. Like it is is an explosion every day of of new entrepreneurs, new concepts. And so, how do you manage that amount of noise and stay focused on like this is the mission? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of lessons in there over the last you know near twenty five years of doing this. I, th- I think some of the most important or maybe one of the most important that I've brought to Gripner um, that I learned in the end of my time with audio socket was the importance of, as you say, the 60 to 80 hour week is not uncommon. It's actually, it's, 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 it's just the case. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I learned in this severe burnout that I had in running audio socket and Lidcore was that if I was going to run that hard, and I needed to spend just as much time and effort in balancing out my mental clarity um, and detaching myself from the outward stress of the moment, from market forces and whatever internal business operational elements you might be tackling or wrestling with on any given day, detaching that cell, that stuff from the actual work stream. So when I can, when I am ready to put it down at the end of 80 hours, I can literally do that and use the balance of that time in a way that is more like open and accepting and enjoying of the the rest of life and not have this thing constantly in my head that maintains a acute level of intensity and stress right so it's really the concept of work life alliance mm-hmm. um as we like to put it and i didn't the 10 plus years of running audio socket, I didn't have that type of clarity until my body started physically shutting down because of the 24 hour amounts of stress and work, physical and mental. Uh, and that is a critical lesson that I'm able to bring to grip there. And I realize how important it is because Web3 is, in, is infinitely more stressful if you let it be than traditional technology company developments because it is a new asset class. It is extremely volatile right now. And if I didn't have that experience prior, uh, I think that it would be a lot more challenging for me to run this company today, given the always-on nature of the Web3 um, market. No, and, and I completely agree. And I, the reason I wanted to take a second and, and, and talk about that is because you know we're the you know the business podcast, we're the you know really the, for the business community, and for a lot of young entrepreneurs that listen to us, and I get I get emails and, and LinkedIn uh, pings all the time from people you know asking how do you how do you manage a twenty four seven cycle? How do you manage um, you know a constantly shifting regulatory market? And the end of the day is you got you got to have your your personal life, your family life buttoned up to the point where where you can manage that. And then you're only focusing on the work because if, if after you get off work, you're, you're closing your eyes and going to sleep and you wake up and the first thing you do is work. 
I can promise you, it, you can do that for a long time. But at some mm-hmm. point, you got to have other other you know ways in your life to to relieve that stress in a healthy way. And and too often we see drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. um, become that way for people to turn it off. And so I, I I love hearing that you started with a with a health spa, and hopefully you you took those lessons later on in life um, because there's there's no substitute for for clear mental health and and being a competent CEO um, means that the rest of the team knows they can rely on you, and there's not you know <laughs> an impending implosion coming. Yep, that's exactly right. That's it. Fabulous. So let's dive right into Gripner because uh, to me now, you know, let's, I'm going to give you the disclosure. I have I have once or twice seen D and D played or any card games. Uh, my kids are, are Pokemon fanatics, um, but so I, I'm not going to have a ton of inherent knowledge about the game. As far, but the technology, I absolutely am up to date on. So if you want to give us the overview and and be as technical as you like, yeah, certainly. So <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, the use case for this was was pretty apparent early on. Um, that all these tabletop role-playing games are data and being able to prove outcomes, uh, the blockchain enables it unlike anything else uh, ever could before, right? And what Gripner is building, to be very clear, in Dungeons & Dragons is a trademark of another company called uh, Wizards of the Coast, which is owned by Hasbro. That is not us. Uh, But we are building tabletop role-playing games on the blockchain. And one of the reasons that we've been able to do this is that... um, D&D, about 20 plus years ago, released something called the Open Gaming License. And effectively what that did is it open sourced a lot of the gameplay content, right? And they created another document called the Standard Reference Document, the SRD, um, that also allows you to pull in some of their trade dress, right? So we're able to build these games because that was created. Um, and we can get back into some of how that's changed uh, recently, but that's really what enables us to do this without um, violating anyone else's intellectual property. And for us, you know, it, it's not just about, you know, so Gripner is the parent company. The first game that we've released that we're creating ourselves is called The Glimmering. And for Gripner itself, it's not just about the glimmering, right? The, the largest objective uh, ambition for the company is to become the industry standard protocol for all tabletop role-playing games that want to be on chain to structure organized play. And what's beautiful about that is that in, in this world, there's a number of constituents that have not been fairly rewarded for all of their contributions and work. And one of them are the game publishers, these independent or even sometimes mid-size publishers that have created content. Uh, And then secondly, and equally important, are the game masters. These are people who spend hours of time preparing for and running and adjudicating the tabletop games for the players around their table. And what Gripner enables is a fair distribution of value across uh, the chain through those constituents, right? So every time if, if, if a game designer creates a game module, whether it's a glimmering-related story or an entirely new game, every time somebody plays that game, um, they get a royalty across, mm. uh, you know, across the network for people's enjoyment of it. And every time a game master sits down and runs a game with six people at a virtual table on a Zoom call or in a Discord channel or wherever else they're getting fair compensation as well. And the, the protocol take rate is 10% or less, right? So I think this is extremely uh, valuable to the community overall. And while Patrick is a lifelong player and I've, I've been a fan and I've played off and on throughout my life, 
um, our lead game designer, Stephen Radney McFarland, has only ever done this. He's designed games for uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Paizo and independently and for others for more than 22 years. He's going to forget more about this game than I'm ever going to know about it. Right. So we've got really great domain expertise. Um, and then on the, the kind of visual side of this, um, we've, we've, we've got three artists on the team full time. Our lead artist is a guy goes by angry blue. His real name is Justin. And Justin's got work hanging in the rock and roll hall of fame. He's done pretty much every rock band you could imagine from Metallica to the Foo Fighters and Melvins and everybody in between, like he's done a uh, concert, uh, poster art for them. And our lead colorist is uh, pretty much credited on every Marvel and DC comic that's come out over the last decade. So the the visual elements and the story elements of it are extremely rich. And from a technological perspective, when we undertook the project, our, our CTO, Luke Lede, who's got a ton of blockchain development experience, he was Revelry's CEO and, excuse me, CTO until this happened. And now he's on Gertner full time but you know he, we've got a couple of uh, blockchain based companies in the revelry uh, venture studio portfolio right and uh, a lot of expertise there and as we looked at it the 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 beauty of and the elegance technologically of our approach in all of this in part is that the the data for each one of these player character nfts is on chain and we didn't do that just to be clever and prove that we could do something technologically complex, right? Most NFT collections, the data is not on chain, right? Including right. the most famous and popular out there. Um, but for us, we had to do it because all of the character stats are, you know, they, they impact gameplay. And as you, you play a game, you level up and you level up based on those stats and how they, they adjust over time. So by having all of the player the character data on chain, then we can update that. And then as your player character progresses through the game world and levels up ever and ever higher, over time, the artwork starts to morph based on gameplay outcomes alone. And our creative director, Kyle, um, he was the one that recruited our artist team. Uh, he's got a background mostly in the music space doing work for... Um, Live Nation and other major gaming brands, right? When Kyle looked at it, he said, look, check out this space. Like most of the stuff that's out there, including the most popular really blue chip projects, as great as they are, there's no action. And what tabletop role-playing games inherently are is action. So we wanted this collection to just stand apart visually. And I think we may have taken it a bit too far some days because when we got into it, um, Angry Blue is originally the only artist. And 24 hours in, he's like, the way you all want to do this, it's never going to happen with one guy. So we quickly scaled up to a team of three. But at the height of the production of that collection, we had eight artists on staff. It was like a, it was like a factory. And the end result, and just think about this, it's crazy. There are 43,000 individual hand-drawn art layers that make up our collection, 43,000. And as we were getting into some of the early reveals of what this looked like, well before any kind of testament, Gerard, my friend from CEO of Revelry, called me. And, uh, you know, we've got another buddy named Kevin Lynn, the founder of Twitch, who has a project called Dustbreakers. And we had some backroom like view of how that was progressing for them. Gerard called and he's like, there is no way in hell 
that this collection is going to programmatically render correctly because you got too much complexity in it. And I was concerned. I kept telling the creative team, like, what if we're overdoing this, right? Um, and thankfully, sure enough, we did it and it all worked, right? So we've put an extreme amount of effort uh, into the project and really a keen eye for detail, not just from the technological standpoint, but from the visual and the world design and the game design as well. So the next phase for us, we did a phase one mint uh, in October just to make sure it was going to work. And we only minted, uh, we only permitted 160 of those to be minted. And it was really just to the people who were first in the project before we even went public about it. And like I said, it completely worked. So where we're at now is all of the collection itself is is done. It's it's ready for phase two men. And we're building out the uh, play on chain platform where you'll be able to connect your wallet. You'll be able to cruise the great hall, see the different tables of content, what kind of content is being run, who are the game masters that are running it, what other players have booked a seat at that table, what kind of NFT player characters are they playing with and how are they equipped? <clears throat> so the front end of the play on chain platform is completely built. And now the tech team is sprinting to you know get the back end developed. And what we're going to do in March is something that I think may be the first of its kind. If not, we're certainly in a very small club. Um, at the end of March, we're going to launch phase two mint. And not only are we going to mint the collection, we're going to mint the collection and release the play platform gameplay on, on the same exact day. Um, so I pretty mean, significant ambitions. Yeah, it's amazing. And so while you're talking real quick, and I'm going to encourage anyone who's uh, you know listening or watching this podcast, you know, the, in the show notes, we'll have the, the links to the Glimmering and, and Gripner. Um, but I'm just kind of going through some of these these cards that you minted, and I see exactly why what the concern was. Um, but I got to tell you, the execution is fabulous. Uh, I see NFT projects multiples every day, think uh, tons that are unreleased. You know, hey, we're going in this direction, and and sometimes they spend a lot of time um, and and really don't get any like. Like okay, that's great, but but it, it doesn't really resonate or showcase the amount of time and energy. You know, these are animated, um, so so each of them have it seems like a little bit of nuance, even if they're somewhat similar. You're right; there's layers that that provide different animations, mm -hmm. and it's it's not just the NFT, but you also have that PFP, you know, the profile picture that if someone says this defines me, so you're you're really uh, again it very well done. I mean, this is a, a one of the. Uh, forget the game <laughs> for a second. Just the NFT mint alone is probably one of the best uh, th that I have seen as far as kind of that refinement, you know, that that professionalism of like, you can see you guys put a lot of time, energy, and, and love into this um, just in how you deploy it. So again, without knowing or understanding anything on them, <laughs> um, I can just tell you that that it is absolutely resonating um, why these exist and the fact that they can be used, showcased, displayed with their friends and, and traded. Um, congrats. That's, that's, that's the right way to do it. So uh, I'm glad you ramped up the team and, and took the extra effort. But yes, I do know I can absolutely understand the concern from your tech team going, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for the compliments. I, I agree with you, and all credit goes to the team. I'm, I'm humbled to be able to lead uh, this group of talent. I'm, I think of myself often as the the weakest link in the entire chain when I work with these folks. They are just exceptional at what they do, and I mean that to everyone in, in every single department, tech, art, um, design, marketing, um, game, all of it. 
Yeah. So when we're, when we're kind of looking at you know where this is going and and you know as a new type of game, um, it's it's clearly you know it's, it's yours. How, where's kind of the roadmap leave? Uh, lead after that next mint. So the glimmering is going to, you know, it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to evolve. Uh, but I'm betting and, and hearing your background, the technology you built uh, wasn't designed to launch a single game. Um, and so I really would love to just kind of understand as you're looking at at this and using, you know, the glimmering as your as your beta as your first kind of test. Like, what's your entire envision um, for this blockchain technology with these role playing games? Yeah, there's a there's a few different things to your point. Like, it's it's pretty rich, right? We've got we've got large we've got large visions, and I, I would never accuse anyone on my team of not being extremely ambitious, right? So, you know. One element of the future and expanding uh, the business is the protocol layer itself and onboarding other tabletop role-playing games uh, to put their game worlds on our system, right? Um, The second one, which is really interesting to me, and I think is almost an obligation for anybody who wants to improve this industry and the space, is what does it look like? There are 40 million people right now that play tabletop role-playing games uh, consistently. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to onboard those folks into these kind of distributed, organized uh, play environments? And I think what it looks like is abstracting, removing all the friction that you, people typically deal with in Web3 stuff that, that most consumers are not going to tolerate to onboard. So what is it in, from an engineering and design perspective, what does it look like to enable anybody to interact with these game worlds in a way that doesn't have friction? And we have ideas for that, which are not uncommon. I mean, you, you've seen uh, Reddit did a great job of it, right? Yep. What is it? Just log in, create an account, you know, press a button, you know, click, you know, create a character, go play the game. <clears throat> You're getting all your weapons and your spells and all the other, you know, NFT co- things that you collect through gameplay, et cetera. And on the back end, there's a wallet for you that you don't even need to worry about or engage with and, until you want to, right? Um, so, those things for us feel like an obligation because we want to lead in the space and we want to be a part of solutions that bring the masses into this new technology. Uh, and another element of this, which is extremely exciting to me, beyond the existing tabletop publishers and bringing them onto the chain, we've observed three things that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I keep seeing it over and over again in other communities that I'm in. And what these other communities seem to want right? Especially the successful ones, the one who are there to stay and aren't just there for the hype and the pump and dump. They really want to build something special together as a community. They want three things. They want to create deeper bonds with their community members in a world that's hyper distributed and global. And a discord chat is not enough to really develop that type of meaningful connection. They want to embody kind of the personality and the brand and the brand voice of their PFP. And they want to add value to the collections and the communities that they're in. And I, obviously, I'm biased, but I'm telling you right now that there is no better way to do that than through tabletop role-playing games. So outside of just reaching into existing publishers and bringing their games onto our chain, it's also going to other large communities who are really committed to the principle of building together and adding value together and turning some of those collections into gameplay. Mm-hmm. So they have an ability to, again, there's no better way to build bonds with somebody than collective storytelling. And that's what tabletop role-playing games are. It's collective storytelling. You're adventuring together. 
Um, so for us, reaching into some of these bigger communities, and we already have some conversations going with uh, a couple of blue chips uh, and onboarding their communities into these types of uh, environments and fun is a major uh, ambition. Yeah, and I love that. So one of the things I want to point out here, and I always, no investment advice, don't buy whatever you want, don't buy whatever you want. I buy I buy everything and, and most of it goes to zero and that's entirely fine. I'm doing it for for our, my own education and, and really to just understand things. But, but I say constantly, um, you know, Someone that, that has an amazing idea, that, that's fabulous. Someone that has actually done, you know, executed and, and having a team that knows what they're doing and knows how to execute is a very different deal. And, and too much we saw over the last bull run. Amazingly brilliant people with great ideas that had no concept of what it took to execute. That were raising tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars um, to build some theoretical AAA game. But they had never worked in a gaming environment. They'd never mm. it even understood what it took to bring something like this to market. And and needless to say, we see where most of those ended up. Um, the most popular one that exists was existed with the largest bud- budget out there was Axie Infinity, which is the most boring game I've ever seen in my life. Um, but it you know it it, w- it had use case, it had utility, it had reasons that people wanted to log in day out, day in and day out. And, and it kind of built a foundation and growth from there. And I look at what you guys are doing here with, and I, I, I understand that the, you know, the, the adjective of, of tabletop, but there's no tables here. Um, right. But the, the idea of role-playing games and being able to interconnect with people and there's utility, there's value, there's a, there's a way that people can spend their time. Um, and so I really think that that's the correct way to think of these things. And even for someone like myself, who I, I, I can envision playing these, um, I absolutely can can see the the value from a community standpoint, from saying like, I agree with where these people are going. And even if you have a community that isn't focused on something like role-playing games, I guarantee a subsector of it is. I guarantee that that you, you know, your PFP is what you're saying, that um, you can turn those into something that that resembles uh, you know, having more value than just like, hey, we might go make a, a 3D video game that that you know, um, costs a billion dollars to make, but the $2 million we raised should be able to get us close. No, it's not. Um, and so I think, you know, the other thing I'm really excited about is what, what do you do when you sell your company for a billion dollars? You go back to what you love doing as a kid. (laughs) So that's, so you really have a product that was made with love and care. Um, and not from, you know, monetizing, I'm sure is always important for your KPIs, but, but, there's way too much love in just what I see on the screen right now. Um, when's the game coming? Yeah, so we already have games that are built now, right? So the advantage that Gripner has over uh, the complexity of a AAA video game is we're not building a video game, right? We're building stories. These, these tabletop games are really narrative-driven. So our lead game designer has already created two games that are out there now that people play with us every week um, in the Discord. So one is a, a really quick, what they call a one-shot called Tower of Power. It's almost like a roguelite, really fast, only takes an hour to get through um, tabletop game. And another one is called uh, Dark and Stormy Night, which is more like your traditional, but slightly shorter, two and a half to three hours of gameplay module. And when we launch the Play on Chain platform, you'll be able to actually play on chain and you're with your NFT character and all the game outcomes will be recorded back to the chain and you'll you know if you kill the dragon you get the long sword or whatever it might be um those things would be distributed as well but the the games exist now and are being played um, in an off-chain way and when we launch well we already have six game modules so level one 
through level three because there's two modules for each level. So we've already got six modules that are um, fully created, not yet published. We haven't released them to the public. Only the two that I previously mentioned are out there. Um, but we've got four more that are already ready right now and will be made available when Play on Chain um, is done. So I, I guess the short answer is we're the game is there. happening now. Yeah. Yeah. So so even more of a reason to to take a look at this because if this does, you know, even if you're just kind of one of those uh, investors that you say, hey, I, I'm in, I'm here early, which we all are. Um, you know, I think that this is going to be big. I think that this is certainly something to look at the technology wise. I. I like I said, I, I I haven't bought one of these things. Uh, Brent and I, <laughs> this is our first really time hanging out. Um, but when I see something that that has utility, that has use case, um, and really help promotes blockchain technology and Web three overall, I, I I I have to endorse it and have to say good job. Um, this is not the first uh, kind of you know playing card based thing I've seen. I, I saw an amazing project by a company called Collect- Collectors Crypt, um, but they were managing the physical playing cards. You know mm. how do you how do you take these cards and and they're just sitting in, in shoe boxes. And what do you do with them? Right. Um, and so I look at this this interconnection of of multiple entrepreneurs around the Web three space focused on role playing games. And and I what that means is it's there's ecosystems forming. There's there's viability and and there's no one company that should own all this. The, the one thing that we know in Web three and blockchain is it should be distributed. It should be standards. And so the thing that I loved hearing you say is when you talked about you know D and D, which is not part of you, but there is a, a code of standards and, and kind of ways that every uh, other company that may want to copy you and and you know that's a great form of flattery. Hopefully they they follow those same standards so that it can be interchangeable so that you can create, you know, these viable ecosystems and and really do so much more good around the world. And also, you know, the the innovation, um, which has been, you know, I, I think in tabletop gaming, I don't know. I'm going to guess it's been relatively stagnant for quite a while. So the concept of bringing things on chain, validating, verifiable, and and solving the problem truly of of interconnecting people over Zoom from telecommunications, um, you, you opened up a market class that some people have never probably been exposed to in, in parts of the world. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And most of the innovation recently has been around the virtual tabletop concept, right? Where you, there's a, like a visual interface where you can see your character and um, all of those tools. We're not really trying to create new virtual tabletops as much as partner with groups like Roll20. Um, and there's another group called Arcana, which is using uh, augmented reality. So you can just put your phone up and see the playing table right there in front of you. Uh, and really bringing those types of technologies into our ecosystem uh, and deploying the, the blockchain for the purpose of, you know, validating player outcomes, rewarding game designers uh, and, and game masters who are creating content, distributing rewards, you know, for the players themselves. Uh, and ultimately, there's plenty of space here. And what we want to do is grow the pie. So the more games we can bring on board, we don't see other publishers. Um, or even other companies that are going to try to do a direct competition and create their own protocol in a similar way. We welcome all of that because we believe ultimately it's good for the entire industry. And we're only seeing growth in this space, you know, things like Stranger Things, the TV show, you know, again, the, the tabletop industry already had 40 million players, but now we've got all these new folks that are coming in and they want entry points. And what Gripner wants to do is just enable all of those people who want to participate and, and we see them as, uh, as allies and, and uh, folks we want to support more than competitors. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, understanding that 
the, the generations have changed. Um, and so the younger generation, like I, I grew up with Monopoly, probably the same as you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's my tabletop game that I normally yeah. played. Um, but, but I haven't played that physical version in, in I can't even think of how long. The kids love playing Monopoly. We play it on the TV, where it's it's set up, it's easy, it's quick, it's verifiable. No one's stealing out of money out of the the treasury, and and it's all kind of you know known because the rules are easy. Right. Um, but I look at this, and I also think of kind of the amount of time people are spending in isolation, the amount of time people are spending unable to to get out and physically go somewhere. Um, and and I love bridging people, and so I, I really am excited for what you guys are doing, how you're doing it, um, and and really just the overzealousness uh, to, to make people jealous over kind of what can happen when you go a little bit uh, beyond the, the status quo. So, so congratulations on all this. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Brent, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed about this conversation right now is, is that I have no idea how to play this game. Um, but, but I see the love and care and, and technology that you've put into this and also really the understanding of, of what it takes for someone that is, is been as experienced as you are in, in the tech field, um, had successes, had failures, had a lot of lessons and learnings over the years. And I'd love for you just kind of, as we bring towards a close, talk a little bit more about that. Um, because I've, I've been in a lot of asset classes. Uh, I've been in the financial sector. I've been all sorts of places. But even in, in, in TradFi, there's hours that things shut down. Um, there, there's a place where you just say, it doesn't matter that I want to work. I can't because they've, they've turned off these systems or there's mm-hmm. nothing to do but get prepped for the next time it turns on. Where in Web3, it is, it's always on. And I'd love to hear from someone that's already experienced extreme burnout, which is every entrepreneur is going to experience at some point, you know, how you kind of manage your day-to-day operations and, 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 uh, as well as your team. Yeah. I think the, the first thing that I do to manage around all that stuff and the 24 hours always on nature of the space is I am extremely disciplined and rigid with where I focus my time to the point where my daily calendar, I have every single moment of the day defined on what I'm going to focus on. Because if I don't, it's extremely easy for things to, well, all that ever happens is things come at us in this space. And if I don't have this very detailed, rigorous view of how I want my workday to go, listed moment to moment on the calendar, then I'm going to be way more tempted, especially with my ADHD brain, which most entrepreneurs, at least in my network, have some version of ADHD. I, it's so easy to get me pulled off, which just makes me have to work even more. And now I, I'm literally working 24 hours a day. So it almost kind of starts and ends for me personally with the calendar. And then with the team, while I'm never going to dictate exactly how they need to go manage their work, what I'm always encouraging to do is to think of at, in every meeting that we have as a group, looking from a department as well as an individual perspective, what are your key priorities as it relates to our current business objectives? And whatever's coming at you right now, before you react to it, you got to ask yourself the question, how does this thing that's coming at me re- relate to my personal and my department and the company's larger objectives? And the discipline around that allows you to filter out about 90% of the noise most of the time, right? That's fabulous. And the, I mean, it's such a good lesson for most of us to learn. Um, that, and by the way, I've got that same undiagnosed ADHD mm-hmm. uh, thing, which is why there's so much chaos behind me um, and, and screens everywhere. But 
No, I, I really appreciate the time today, Brent. I'm really excited to see where the project continues to go. Um, it, basically, where can people find you? And if they want to mint one, uh, do, do you have an ETA on when that second mint's coming? Yes, it, it's going to come at the last week of March. Um, oh, okay. So the Perfect. interesting timing for us is that Paramount Pictures is getting ready to release a blockbuster uh, Dungeons & Dragons movie. And we're going to mint uh, right around the release date of that film. And again, you'll be able to mint and instantly log in and play on chain. Um, yeah, so that's that's happening at the end last week of March. And you can find me personally on Twitter at... Brent Alicious, B-R-E-N-T-A-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. Um, you can find uh, everything about The Glimmering at theglimmering.com. And then once you're down that rabbit hole, you can find us in the Discord and all of our other social accounts and our live Twitch streams of gameplay that we do every Thursday. It's just it's a delightful time and a great community that's building long-term things with long-term people. And we welcome you uh, aboard. Love it. Love it. Uh, y Wales, this is uh, Brent from Gripner and uh, The Glimmering and really excited to kind of track the progress and we'll make sure to have you back uh, over to Fireside right before that launch so you can, uh, you can, you can get some feedback from everyone else on the, on the drop. I would love that, Jay. Thank you. Awesome. Y Wales, talk to you guys next time. Y Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.